So my question this morning is, what is the worst thing that could happen to you at the end of your life? Now, uh, for some of you know that I've been struggling with um, the state that my mum is in. Um, for many, I think it might well be losing your mind. I think that would be one of the worst things that could I, I feel could happen to me. Um, I yeah, I think that that would be a worry for me. For others, it might be the terrible tragedy of losing your children. Uh, something like what happened to Job. That's something that uh, unthinkable. That's it's it's a uh, it's horrible loss. Um, and hopefully those people know that they have, uh, they, they will meet their children again in eternity. I think for many, um, I guess it would be that everything that you've spent your life building just crumbles away. As soon as you die, it just disappears or it just crumbles away. And today in, uh, in the passage today, we're going to see a repeat of God's warning and um, we see God warning Solomon that this is going to happen to him. Um, or rather, this is de a definite serious warning. Uh, so rather than reading it out myself, I'm going to play this version of 1 Kings uh, 9 read out to us. It's, it's relatively short, uh, shorter than previous chapters, so hopefully it won't be too bad. Let's see whether... if. Uh, if the sound doesn't play, then please, um, please do let me know. Therefore, he said, oh. what kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? Let me start that from the beginning. As soon as Solomon had finished building the house of the Lord and the king's house and all that Solomon desired to build, the Lord appeared to Solomon a second time as he had appeared to him at Gibeon. And the Lord said to him, I have heard your prayer and your plea, which you have made before me. I have consecrated this house that you have built by putting my name there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. As I promised David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them, and the house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight. And Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss. And they will say, why has the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshiped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. At the end of 20 years in which Solomon had built the two houses, the house of the Lord and the king's house, and Hiram king of Tyre had supplied Solomon with cedar and cypress timber and gold as much as he desired, King Solomon gave to Hiram 20 cities in the land of Galilee. 
But when Hiram came from Tyre to see the cities that Solomon had given him, they did not please him. Therefore he said, What kind of cities are these that you have given me, my brother? So they are called the land of Cable to this day. Hiram had sent to the king 120 talents of gold. And this is the account of the forced labor that King Solomon drafted to build the house of the Lord and his own house and the millow and the wall of Jerusalem and Hazor and Megiddo and Gezer. Pharaoh, king of Egypt, had gone up and captured Gezer and burned it with fire and had killed the Canaanites who lived in the city and had given it as dowry to his daughter, Solomon's wife. So Solomon rebuilt Gezer and lower Beth Horon and Baalath and Tamar in the wilderness in the land of Judah and all the store cities that Solomon had and the cities for his chariots and the cities for his horsemen and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Amorites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites who were not of the people Israel, their descendants who were left after them in the land whom the people of Israel were unable to devote to destruction these Solomon drafted to be slaves, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves. They were the soldiers. They were his officials, his commanders, his captains, his chariot commanders, and his horsemen. These were the chief officers who were over Solomon's work, 550 who had charge of the people who carried on the work. But Pharaoh's daughter went up from the city of David to her own house that Solomon had built for her. Then he built the millow. Three times a year, Solomon used to offer up burnt offerings and peace offerings on the altar that he built to the Lord, making offerings with it before the Lord. So he finished the house. King Solomon built a fleet of ships at Ezion Geber, which is near Eloth on the shore of the Red Sea in the land of Edom. And Hiram sent with the fleet his servants, seamen who were familiar with the sea, together with the servants of Solomon. And they went to Ophir and brought from there gold, 420 talents, and they brought it to King Solomon. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame. Okay. So not as, um, not as dry as uh, some of the uh, previous texts that we've had, uh, not as dense in terms of um, looking at uh, measurements and everything else. Uh, but we join this story, uh, picking up where Derek left off last week, uh, Solomon finally finishing the temple. And he gives the amazing prayer that, uh, that Derek took us through last week. So this chapter comes in two parts. The first is another appearance by God to Solomon. And we kind of forget about this second appearance, even though an appearance by God to anyone is really quite an event to note. Uh, and we forget about it because God doesn't really say anything new in it. So I'm going to have a quick look. Uh, if you follow with me, I'm going to put it up on the screen. If we look down to verse three, let's uh, increase the size of this. Can I increase the size? Uh, let's just do this. I don't know if it's too small. Okay, so verse three. Okay, uh, yeah, verse three says from verse three onwards, I've heard your prayers and a prayer and your plea, which you made before me. I have consecrated this house that you built, putting my name there forever. My heart, I'm sorry, my eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you walk before me, David, as, your, as David, your father walked, 
with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing according to all that I have commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever. Now, this we saw in chapter six. So I gave this uh, a sermon on chapter six and seven two weeks ago, and we saw exactly the same promise and warning. I hope you remember what I said. Um, uh, and this is important because God doesn't repeat himself for no good reason. There is very good reason he repeats himself. Let me remind you that uh, that I said um, two weeks ago, I said that there is this very strange tension because between what God has promised uh, to David, uh, which was unconditional, and then what is conditional, this promise to Solomon. He makes this conditional to Solomon. Do you see that great big if in the middle? And it uh, verse um, verse four. And as for you, if you walk before me, you, you will walk before me as your father walked. So you see, David wasn't without sin. David was full of pride and full of sin. But we see in David an integrity of heart and uprightness. It described, David is described as a man after God's own heart. He's full of passion for God. And so we, we have to, the question now is, is Solomon going to be more like Saul, who the spirit left him because he didn't honor God, because he put himself first, or more like David, who had a heart after God's own heart? Well, why is there this conditional promise? Because God knows the future. He knows what Solomon will do. He knows what the kings after Solomon will do. And he knows that he will fulfill his promises regardless of Solomon's failure. And I showed you that when God fulfills his promises, he fulfills them through Jesus Christ. This is the descendants. This is the, uh, the children. This is uh, someone of the royal line of David and of Solomon establishing his royal throne over Israel the new Israel, which is Christian, uh, the Christians and the church forever, the church being the temple of God and Jesus being also the temple of God, where God dwells. So why is it repeated here? And when, when, we, when we see a repeat of this, it's always worth asking the question. When we read the Bible, it's always worth asking the question, what is different about this passage? Well, the part that I read out, verse three to five, is the same. Uh, if we look, um, yeah, if we were to turn back, we would see exactly the same words. Afterwards, however, we see something much more serious. So if you read with me in verse six, we have these words. But if you turn aside from following me, you or your children, and do not keep my commandments and my statutes that I have set before you, but you go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them. 
and the house that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and Israel will become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and it will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done this uh, thus to this land and to this house? Then he will, they will say, because they abandoned the Lord their God who brought their fathers out of the land of Egypt and hold on to other gods and worship them and serve them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. I mean, that is a, a terrible, terrible warning. Solomon has just prayed an amazing prayer and offered, offered a ton of sacrifices and completed the building of a magnificent temple known uh, uh, solely to God. And God has this to say to him in reply. This is an amazing reply to what Solomon has just done. Why? Because God knows where Solomon's heart is. And we'll see this in the next coming chapters. And this is my first point. We had better listen and heed to God's war and heed God, God's warning. You see, he is patient with us. And sometimes it does take God repeating it more than once to us. And we know that God listens to our prayers. But he also knows what's in our hearts. So we better listen and we better heed God's warning. To Solomon, he gave this warning. And sadly, we know that this will come about. The temple will lie in ruins. People will will see the Israelites, uh, the great nation of Israel, destroyed and put into exile. And they will be a byword for God abandoning them, because we still see that today. Let me read it again, because I, I think it's worth reading so from verse six let me read it because and 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 think about that this has happened already but if you turn aside from following me you or your children and do not keep my commandments now this should be echoing to us from the exodus from when moses was given the commandments and given that warning as well but go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will cut off Israel from the land that I have given them and the house that I've consecrated for my name, I will cast out of my sight and Israel will be, become a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And this house will become a, a heap of ruins. Everyone passing by it will be astonished and will hiss and they will say, why has the Lord done thus this land and this house? Then they will say, because they abandoned the Lord, their God, who brought their fathers out of Egypt and laid hold on other gods and worshipped them and served them. Therefore, the Lord has brought all this disaster on them. What a terrible and dire warning 
to Solomon, but also the kings that followed him. We see that some of the kings ignored this warning. And Israel and Judah as the split kingdoms became closer and closer to exile. We see some good kings and, and God, uh, God delaying that punishment, that exile. But it gives us a very clear warning, doesn't it? If God gives us a warning and he gives us his word, his Bible, what we are reading today as a warning to us, we had better heed that warning. We had better listen and heed that warning. The second half of the chapter looks at Solomon's actions and we, we see some hints of this, the, the warning signs of what is to come in, in Solomon's reign. The first thing he does, and, and this is where we see these things. The first thing he does is he gives Haram, king of Tyre, 20 cities. Now, you might think this is just a, a border move. Uh, he's moving the border, so these cities are now uh, part of Tyre. But it's not just giving away cities or it's not just giving away buildings here. He is giving away the cities and their inhabitants. This is part of the land that God has given to Israel. And we see that Haram is not pleased with this deal. So Solomon, I don't know. It may, there is a sense that Solomon is cheating a little bit here. But still, because God is blessing Solomon, Hiram follows through with his deal and sends him a tremendous amount of gold. So here we see 120 talents of gold. That is a huge amount of gold, uh, even by today's standards. Uh, I can't remember how much it is. Apparently it's something, um, something immense. Uh, we're going to have to look it up sometime. Um, next follows an account of the slavery going on uh, in, during Solomon's reign. Now, that is never a good thing, uh, but the Old Testament is, is, the Bible is fairly silent on whether this is a good or a bad thing. The Old Testament laws do allow for slavery, and there are some inhabitants of uh, Canaan that made deals with Israel as they entered the land uh, so that they would enter into servitude. There is a double mention of, you'll notice there is a double mention of Solomon's wife, not only in chapter, uh, in verse 16, uh, but also down in verse 24. And again, I've said this before, that this is, this is not a good thing. But it also speaks about the looming threat of Israel, sorry, Egypt to Israel, which we'll see more of in chapter 11. We see that, we then see Solomon showing some de more devotion to God, which is a good thing. Verse 25, and finally more dealings with, uh, with Haram, King Haram. So there are small warning bells here, but since we know what is going to happen to Solomon, I'm going to take my message from these small red flags. You see, Solomon, after doing these great works and giving this great prayer, and then hearing this war, uh, warning, he just goes on doing his normal day-to-day -day business. 
we see a contrast with Nineveh and how they change their ways and they, they fast and they tear, tear their clothes. And we see that with various other kings. They fast and they tear their clothes and wear, wear sackcloth and they are repentant. But we don't see this from Solomon. It isn't just that he's done something great. Um, and isn't it normal that when somebody has done something great, when we have just done something amazing, that is when we are most vulnerable. That is when we are most complacent, isn't it? So I've heard in tennis, I, I watch a bit of tennis, but I'm not an uh, avid follower. I've heard that in tennis, the most likely time when someone is, to, is, someone is going to break your serve is when you have just broken the, theirs. Now, also, in something I know a little bit more about in, in football, that's soccer to the Americans. Um, I know that it's very often that when a goal is scored, another goal is almost immediately a threat. There is almost immediately a threat to the other from the other side who are keen and uh, to get another goal. So that is the most likely, likely time, most vulnerable time when a goal is going to be scored. It's when we've done something great that we are most complacent. And this was also true of Solomon, as we see in the next couple of chapters. He's just done a great act. This thing, this temple, will be remembered for the rest of history. You see, even if this is all he does, he can sit back and he can be assured of his legacy. Although this legacy we see crumbles away so my first point was that we must heed god's warnings my second point is that we cannot become complacent in our service to god let's just look at this verse which should be familiar to quite a lot of us uh, verse uh, 1 peter 5 8 be sober minded be watchful your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. This was one of my memory verses that I was given on a, a summer camp. Um, I, I, I remember it, but I can, probably can't quote it word for word, which is why I've got the ESV up here now. But don't you see the devil prowls around like a roaring lion? Just when we are, when we are most complacent, when we are most, when we've just done something great, when we've just done something good, maybe when we've just been to church and we've just been singing uh, the songs, God tempts us most at that point. Now, my final point is this, our lives must our lives must match our devotion in church. See, we've seen how much Solomon shows his devotion to God. We saw it in his building of the temple. We saw it with, with when he asked God in humility to serve God's people. We see it in verse 25 today. We saw it last week in his uh in his uh, prayer. So in verse 25, we see that he 
three times a year he gives offerings to God. And these will not just be like our paltry tithes that we give week by week. These will be massive, uh, massive amounts of blood sacrifices. But outside this, outside those three times a year, he goes about his day to day business. A few years ago, I, co I commented on this. So Mike, who was previously uh, one of our elders here, he he uh, said to me on a Sunday, he said, "Hi Sam, I saw you this week, and I, I I tried to say hi, and but you ignored me, and you just kind of went on your way." So you see, he had seen me going to the Horizon Hills Laundry, and he had waved at me and he shouted at me, but I obviously was in a world of my own, and I I didn't see him. And that's one of the few times that I saw him outside church. And I think that's quite sad in a way uh, that we see each other so few times. Uh, and again, this is why the Bible studies are so good that we can see one another more often and that we keep, can keep ourselves accountable. But the church doesn't see what I do day to day. The church doesn't see what you do day to day. So how do you know what I get, get up to? How does the church know what I get to, up to? I don't see you guys day to day. I see, uh, I might see Christelle in the week. I might see other people from Marlborough. Uh, we don't have any other uh, Marlborough people at the moment in, in, this, um, in this church. But otherwise, I don't really see other Christians. I could be living a terrible uh, hedonistic life. Let's hope that I don't. Pretty soon that will lead me away from God. So this is the question, really, and this is my third point. Does your daily life match your devotion in church? We see Solomon giving so much glory to God in his prayer, in his, uh, in his three times a year massive sacrifices but otherwise he goes about his day-to-day -day life and we see that he doesn't honor god certainly in later chapters this is one of my other memory verses let's give you this uh here uh this is uh the new niv has changed this uh to be a little bit more politically correct but this is the version i remember and this is one I quote. I'll read it out just in case I get something wrong. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. I learned this actually not so much as a memory verse, but because uh, some of you know that I was, uh, uh, I was uh, learning to be a, a worship coordinator at the time. And, and obviously, this is the only time where it's translated, really, one of the few times in the, the New Testament where there's translation of worship. What was drilled into me at various music conferences and worship conferences was that worship is not just music. It is great that we have music. And thank you, thanks to the worship team. That we, that we can worship and lose ourselves in singing. I love singing. I love, there is nothing more beautiful to me than losing myself with uh, a full 
you know, a congregation singing in full voice. We are very fortunate in my uh, in my last um, in my last church. We were attached, kind of. We were very close to a music school, and sometimes it did get a little bit too musical. Uh, uh, but I think uh, it was wonderful to have a. a congregation of maybe four to five hundred people singing in full voice but worship is not just music and this is what this uh, this uh, this verse uh, was designed uh, to drill into me it is our body it is our whole lives that god demands living sacrifices we're supposed to devote our bodies as living sacrifice and I'm going to uh, finish. I've just lost the passage that I was going to finish with. Uh, with this. Last verse. Matthew 16. Sorry, that should be 26. Let's just go to that. Oh, that didn't work. As we listen to the terrible warnings of Solomon, this familiar passage should be ringing through our ears. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world if he forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? Now, we don't know what happened to Solomon. When we read Ecclesiastes, right at the end of it, we see Solomon conceding glory to God. Or we think that uh, Ecclesiastes was, was written by Solomon. We see a man in his uh, last days conceding glory to God. But certainly Solomon hasn't heed, heeded God's warnings he has become complacent in his service to, to God because we don't see the evidence of his, him giving glory to God much outside his prayers, his building of the temple and his three times a year uh, offerings to God. Does our daily life match our devotion to the church, uh, devotion in church? Do we come and we are? Yeah, I was always taught this in Sunday school. Are we just Sunday Christians? And that is a hard question that we should ask ourselves. Are we complacent? Does our daily life match our devotion in church? Because God does give us these very clear warnings. Let me pray. Father, we pray that we can live our lives as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to you. Let us keep working to cut off sin, cutting sin out of our lives and begging for forgiveness, knowing that you have forgiven us and promised us a place in heaven. Lord, we pray that we can live lives worthy of you that we can honour you with our lives. And Lord, we pray that you use us as witnesses for you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.